uncomfortable. <laughs> we can't. We have to try to do that without laughing. <laughs> I like when we laugh. Yeah. Hey guys, I, welcome back. Just had a conversation with someone about how uncomfortable ASMR is, and um, now that it's mainstream, we should do an ASMR video. Or, uh, video. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> audio. You know, recording. That would be one of the things they brought up was whispering because I was just at the theater. Have you seen the new like Coca Cola commercials? Well, how about They're just aggressive. Like the, the the cold open for the theater when it's counting down and it That's what goes I'm like Dolby or something like that. It's yeah. Weird. Oh, yeah. The 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 sound system one. Yeah. And then there's um, the Coca Cola one now is honestly goes, it's, it's like way the, worse. They literally you can hear all yeah. the bubbles <laughs> as the cup fills up, and they do that thing where they like they make that perfect sound of like oh the the vessel is getting more full, so yeah. the sound changes. You know. <laughs> It's just, it's too much, it's way too visceral, and one of the things they brought up was people whispering, and I was laughing at our intro literally being like, this is uncomfortable. Because I was like, well, I guess that's good, because it's uncomfortable. Which, in case you guys are wondering, prior to now, I do that every time we start recording, Yeah, it's always a little weird, Yeah, but that's kind of the point. It's so. perfect. So, trigger warning for today's topic. We are going to be talking about depression and anxiety, and that is going to be including... Things like self-harm, destructive thoughts, suicidal thoughts, all of the stuff that kind of falls under the scope and realm of depression and anxiety. Yeah, especially even our coping mechanisms in talking about healthy and unhealthy ones, those can have their own triggering effects. Um, So just a content warning for today, we're going to be very honest about our own experiences. Um, I think that's where most of today's knowledge is going to come from. Obviously, we, like I talked to my doctor about my own, so I would consider that there is some level of expertise in our own experience, mm-hmm. but... Um, Full disclosure, I would consider myself currently very depressed and have been for a while, so I feel like I have quite a bit to talk about right now. And yes. also, I have not been going to therapy, and so it's only getting worse. So, okay, that's where I'm at today. Full disclosure. That's good. I think today might be a good day to talk about it, then. Yeah, and I also, ironically, well, I guess not ironically, but um, coincidentally, in the last week, I've given two different people that in my circle of people in my life, my therapist's contact information, so I think that's a sign from the universe that I also need to contact my therapist. Yeah. And text her and it's just, like, really yeah. trying to nudge you in the direction of contacting that. I'm honestly in the same boat. I should have texted my therapist, like, two weeks ago just to set up another appointment yeah. I'm like doing kind of okay but also uh for my own full disclosure I am taking an it's technically an antidepressant I was prescribed it for anxiety with depression so I do know that there are like slight subtleties in how people handle theirs and cope with theirs and some people have depression with anxiety or have both separately so it's it's yeah the, so let's talk about um, the definitions of those two things, depression and anxiety, because I feel like a lot of times you can't really have one without the other, or they com- they often come hand in hand. I mean, you can absolutely have one without the other, but depression um, is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest in things. It affects how you feel, think, and behave, and can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. Whereas anxiety, people with anxiety disorders frequently have intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations, often often accompanied by panic attacks. Yes. So, in my own personal experience, I would define depression as lethargy about fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and anxiety mania as about a everything. mania about everything and a constant fight or flight. 
which once I started realizing I was physiologically fight or flighting every single decision in my life, I started realizing how to better compartmentalize it. I'll get to that later. That's probably right. for coping mechanisms, but it can... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real quick touching on jargon in this episode, mania to you, how would you define it? Um, I actually... T- to be completely honest, I feel like I've only recently experienced my first, like, actual, like, episode of Mania these past few weeks where I have just felt an almost exhausting level of energy and happiness that is uh, persistent. Mm-hmm. And I've honestly, like, it's hard to deny the productivity of it because you get a lot done, but you're exhausted and you're not really processing. Mm-hmm. There's clearly something I'm not processing or maybe I'm just not processing it correctly. Um I would just define it as, like, so I used, I had a psych professor at ARC that used to talk about your mental health being a spectrum, and I would just say that you, it would be you swinging out onto the happiness, the euphoria, so pain is on one end and euphoria is on the other of, like, depression and, mm-hmm. like, and so mania would be the other end, and it would be, in her definition, swinging out into euphoria and getting stuck there. Because the whole point of a spectrum is that you're supposed to swing back and forth on it, right? That's yeah, it's, absolutely it's healthy. Yeah, skill, not just like you're bouncing back, ping-ponging back and forth between either pole. Exactly. For so sure. For me, it would be being stuck on euphoria in the sense that, like, you kind of are, like, imagine having, like, a car that you can't hit the brakes on. Yeah. That's kind of what sure. it would feel like for me. What about you? Uh, I would describe my manic episodes as being on so high alert and like operating on such a high level that it's always followed by a crash Mm -hmm. and that high level can either be in a negative space of anxiety and uh insecurity or it can be in a really positive space of like extreme happiness your crush just told you he likes you too you had your first kiss like that kind of crap where it's like you want a hundred dollars yeah operating on those levels that are so unrealistic to maintain long term and are always followed by a crash for me. Yeah. And so a lot of the times I won't realize that I'm in it till I've been in it for a while. And I'm like either super anxious or super happy all the time and just fucking exhausted, like you said. Yeah. And then I realize like, oh, I'm manic right now and this is going to stop soon because I've just realized it. Now I'm starting to reset. Yeah. Thing, so. I think when you realize it, you have to already be on like the other side of it or maybe like coming up on yeah. coming up on it because i think you have to be a little bit separate from it to be able to recognize that like this is not a state that you can maintain or that is your natural state even if honestly f- literally for the first week i was just like oh yeah i must just be like actually getting on it like i'm just like figuring yeah, like, stuff life's out really great right cool, now cool yeah i'm just i'm just on it it's fine no you're like not sleeping and drinking way too much coffee, which is, again, even for people who love coffee and caffeine, it's really not good for your anxiety at all. It really does exacerbate it. Gilmore Uh, Girls is not realistic. You cannot drink coffee all day long every day of your life. (laughs) If you do, you will... You will have a panic attack. Like, yes. I'm almost guaranteeing it. It's yes. just too much for your poor little heart. Yes. Um, that, and I also did notice something, not to ping pong, but um, I did notice that when I when we cut down on, like, casual drinking, like a beer here or a beer there, that alcohol really does affect your depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, I think it just has to do with how much your body is dealing with as far as, like, toxins and how healthy you are. Well, and when you give your body less to worry about, right. the I feel like it just, you can handle your mood a lot better. Also, those sense. kinds of things affect your hormone levels. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah, all of that is is affected directly by not only liquor, but also the kinds of foods you put in your body and all that kind of stuff. So all that's super important. Liquor just operates on a much higher level. 
Yeah. Than, like, if you were to eat Taco Bell for the next week, um, compared to eating well-balanced meals with veggies and fruits and stuff like that, I guarantee you in the moment you feel great eating Taco Bell, but in long-term effects of it would not be great. Yeah, I will say, especially when I was, like, explicitly always eating my feelings, I will, I would say that I, like, yeah, I felt immediately better because I had what I wanted, technically. Yeah, but, but it's I, like a drug, it's a little drug hit, you know? Yeah. You're just upticking that that little receptor, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing, too, is I started realizing, once I started realizing how much of those things are really just my brain being like, hey, I want, like, this endorphin right now, like, uh, go eat that, go do mm-hmm. that, go say that. Right. Um, it became a lot easier to try to get ahead of that before it happened. For sure. Um, so I know that these things manifest very differently from every single person. I don't think any two people are really ever going to look the same, but how does your anxiety and or depression manifest for you? So I had a hard time really recognizing that I had something that I needed to deal with because I was kind of ashamed to talk about it because I, I didn't, I thought I might be making excuses because nobody else's anxiety looked like mine because my anxiety looks like rage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my it like looks uh, I I've gotten a lot better about it, but my anxiety is I think between those choices I definitely choose fight a lot more than flight. And what I usually do is I get very angry to defend myself and to protect whatever it is that I feel like is being attacked at that point, usually mm-hmm. myself. So, just as background, the reason that I think that it became those reactions of, like, anger, irritability, uh, loss of interest of, like, basically anything. Um, I, I think that that came from not dealing with it for a really long time and thinking that, that like, that's just who I was. I, used to, I literally remember telling my partner at one point, like, I'm just not a happy person. Like, that's just not – I'm not one of those people that's just, like, happy. Right. And that's not – Depression is not a normal part of being an adult. Yeah. Sadness is, depression is not. Yeah. And it's saying to someone and just accepting very defeatedly that, like, you're not a happy person. Listen, nobody is happy all the time, but it it shouldn't be so difficult to break out of that and... Um, find no joy in anything. Find no joy in anything. Find no interest in anything. That was the big thing for me. Is it was hard for me to recognize because it wasn't that I was, like, overly sleeping. It's that I can't sleep. I, like, don't, I don't sleep well. I don't sleep for longer than, like, a couple hours at a time. I don't, I wake up super early. I, um, like, I don't, there's just a lot of things that kind of looked opposite for me. So it was hard for me to recognize that those were, like, factors in that. Right. It's a lot of small puzzle pieces that go together to build the bigger puzzle. Yeah. When you realize, if you're looking at these things in a microscope one thing at a time, they don't seem like big deals isolated by themselves like yeah. oh I don't sleep very well like okay not a big deal how's the rest of your life yeah or like you know I kind of don't you know don't really have interest in many things like yeah okay it's kind of red flag but like on the grand scheme of things like if everything else is fine but you combine all of those things together and you've got something that really needs to be addressed and it is obviously much bigger of an issue than just them individually yeah absolutely so it's, it's definitely looking at the bigger picture and acknowledging that like these little things that you may be able to brush off if the rest of your life is great and everything's healthy and going smoothly, maybe that's not the case for you. Yeah. Uh, what made me, like, so I started my medication two years ago, and what made me finally go in is I had spent the entire summer, like, literally, I would I would be on the verge of a panic attack all day at work just because I would be doing this thing where I would start one task and then remember the thing I was doing right before and be like, oh, no, I have to do that first, and then be like, oh, wait, but I need to, you know, order this supply or I need to make this phone call or I need to check this email. 
And I literally would get to the point where all I was doing was picking up one task and remembering the next one and moving to that one to the point where I I was... I would feel triumphant if I got one thing done that day because I was not able to complete a task. And I finally was like, okay, like, there's something up with my attention. Like, this is not okay. This isn't how I was before. Um, And when I went in to talk to her, I I did kind of suspect that that might be something I need to deal with. But I didn't know that another perspective, like, another symptom of it can be, like, lack of focus, inability to, like, finish things. Just all of the things that I thought were all separate issues of me just, like, feeling frazzled. Yeah. I was feeling frazzled because all of those things were from depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just, yeah, like you said, look for at the sure. bigger picker. For sure. How does it manifest for you? So because I'm type A, I wrote this out and <laughs> kind <laughs> of dissected it very deeply. And I I applied the uh, fire safety color I was going to say, didn't you color code it? it? Yeah. yeah. So I, it, varying from yellow to orange to pink to red. And I know pink's not really on there, but I added pink because... You it need seemed like the most logical color. Yeah. So at the at the very start of it, yellow, it's wanting to spend an extraordinary amount of time alone and at home. Um, I already like spending time alone, but I think there's a fine line between doing it in a healthy manner and doing it as a coping mechanism for not dealing with other things. Mm-hmm. So that's typically like the starting off point for my depression, and then it, it's coupled a lot, a lot of times with a complete lack of motivation or creativity to do anything, and then on top of that, feeling guilty about my lack of motivation or creativity. So it'll be this spiral of, I don't really want to do this, or I can't think of how to do this, and then I get guilty and feel like crap about it and start beating myself up for it. So a lot of this negative internal speak starts happening, which I've spent years working on and spent years rewriting my inner inner internal dialogue. And so when that starts reversing, reverting back to what it used to be, it just becomes like a very, very rapid spiral out of control. Yeah, yeah. So that transitions into the orange phase, which is feeling super insecure and then starting to manifest insecurities with other people thinking that they're mad at me or that there's an issue there that's not. And then that's always, always, always accompanied by 24-7 anxiety. Yeah. And the thing with my anxiety is that I have heart issues, and so I start having really bad heart pains, like physical manifestations of heart pains, because my heart rate is so high and my blood pressure is so high. And I'm like, and it gets like physically dangerous. Yeah, right yeah. So um, I've ended up in the ER over this. Like I've worn heart monitors for a couple months. Like this is a legit thing. It actually happens for me, and it starts manifesting in physical ways. Then. Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So moving on into the pink phase. Uh, that insecurity spirals more out of control, and I start stop taking care of myself. My self-care goes out the window. I stop caring about my appearance. I stop washing my clothes. Like, I don't ever stink or look like I'm clearly in the bout of depression, but it's from my perspective. You know the difference. Yeah, like, I'll go without brushing my teeth. Yeah. Like, something as simple as that that I don't typically do when I'm in a healthy state of mind, I will stop doing because I'd rather sit on the couch or lay in bed. So I start sacrificing my daily routines of taking care of myself on the most fundamental level just for the sake of being able to do nothing. Do you consider that self-punishment? For sure, yeah, absolutely. Because that's when I started noticing that that's... Because I would do the same thing. Like, I already have, like, curly, dry hair, so I already don't wash it every day. But, like, 
obviously I know the line of like when I'm doing it because it's healthy for my hair and when I'm doing it because I'm like quote unquote punishing myself. No, I know it looks like a rat's nest today, but that's just because I'm getting it cut on Tuesday. So yeah. this is this is just a coincidence. It's also it's Sunday. Not, it is Sunday. I came over in my slippers. Yes. Um. So, I I started noticing that those things we do them out of um. So grooming in animals is like a sign of health, right? It's like yeah. a thing that shows that they're preening, they're taking care of themselves, they're aware, they're like aware of their presence in the world, mm-hmm. right? I started realizing that doesn't really change a lot for humans. And like it, it does kind of signal to you, it should signal to you that if these are things that you are putting on a back burner, yeah. it might be because you're starting to feel like you don't deserve them. For sure. And that's 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 what it was for me, at least. If I don't want to speak for you, but... If I'm at a state of mind where I'm not motivated to do anything, I think everyone doesn't like me, I'm not liking myself, and I'm going for convenience, or sorry, yeah, convenience and comfort over taking care of myself, that's a big freaking problem. Yeah. Like, I'm ordering food every day, I'm being reckless with how I'm spending my money, I'm not taking care of myself, I'm choosing to lay in bed and watch TV instead of brushing my teeth or making a meal or doing anything that I do as a functioning adult. Yeah. That's a big problem. And now it's just, I mean, I mean, we're going through these steps very rapidly, but this is not like a one day at a time thing. This is like a long span of this behavior. Yeah. Repeating itself every single day. Yeah. And like, you know, habits are hard to break once they start getting formed. And well, after especially a couple when months, they're comforting. Yeah. They're like comforting. And it's something that like, honestly, now that I see it, now that I'm on the outside of it, I realize that like I was in a very like long, very depressed, depressive episode for like several years. And it did start kind of like you were talking about cycles. Like we do that thing where like you do this thing and you let it get, for me, it was my weight. Like you let this thing kind of like slip. And for me, it's not that I, I never like hated how I looked for me at my heaviest. It was the fact that like my back hurt and my knees hurt Mm -hmm. and I was tired all the time and I wasn't comfortable anymore. Like my clothes didn't fit the way I wanted. It wasn't about, I didn't think I looked nice. I honestly like, I had I had curves. I did not mind. I was okay with it. But it wasn't about, like, self-loathing. It was about knowing that I was uncomfortable and I was choosing to make myself uncomfortable because I didn't think I was worth the effort Mm -hmm. it would take to make those changes. Mm -hmm. And that's – it's not thought for everyone, but that's what it was for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if if it's going on for a long period of time, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes me into my last phase with the red phase. Um a complete shutdown and shut in where I'm essentially just a shell of myself. I'm just going through the motions. I'm feeding myself purely because it has to be done on a daily basis. I'm going to work because I don't want to lose my job. You know, I'm doing these things out of necessity rather than, or I'm doing these things out of obligation rather than out of want or desire or any sort of positive thing behind it. I'm doing it just the bare minimum to survive. You do it. You're surviving. Yeah. In red, you are in survival. You're not in anything else. Yeah. And then there's one point where it tips over into seeking out destructive things like self-harm, like taking pills or drinking or any sort of these things that are not me and do not serve me in any positive capacity. And then at the very end, it becomes the suicidal thoughts, the suicidal, you know, kind of starting to creep in of yeah. talking about that. Yeah. I think that's the thing, too, is it, it you, you start to see it escalate in the way that you treat yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I started noticing it even in things that I didn't think were connected, but, like, I think you mentioned it earlier, like, recklessly spending money, mm-hmm. um, making, like, even if I've, you know, we, we, 
we've always liked beer. We were a casual drinking family. Like that's a normal thing for us. But you know when your behavior has changed and you know when it's starting to be a coping thing. Even if you don't know it, the behavior changes. It's not the same amount of drinking. It's not the same style of drinking. You're not sometimes you you're not like really doing it just socially. It's mm-hmm. it it starts to seep into other habits and I think what you're talking about with this if, if that's something that you want to move into talking about with like with like suicidal thoughts I think it has it becomes so passive and how much your habits have overtaken other things in your life that it is kind of this passive idea of like well yeah is any of it worth it mm-hmm. am I worth it I yeah. think is a complicated version of that if you get up and you don't think you're worth it you're depressed for sure yeah or you've got some issues that you need to work out and realize your worth and understand how mu- how much worth you have to everyone around you. I mean, and it's so hard to step out of that frame of mind of like, well, how could I? How could anyone possibly view me this way as worthy if I don't even view me this way? And it's just it's it's not true. I just and this kind of hurts me to even say, but I feel like I'm absolutely sure that there is somebody that is hearing this that is doing that thing where they protest quietly of being like, well, you don't know me. You don't know that I'm not worth it. Like, um, I challenge you. I challenge you. (laughs) And I also really implore you to reach out because we would love to talk to you and also know that like that idea comes from a level of exhaustion and like chemical imbalance in your brain that at this point may not let you see clearly. I'm getting hella upset things. I know. Because it's just so easy to fall into that trap. And it's just like, (laughs) it's really hard to um, hear outside of that. So I'm sorry for crying. (laughs) I'm not, honestly. I'm really not. I'm crying. I'm full on crying. (laughs) No, I am crying. I just mean like, I'm not sorry about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, We've been there. We know what it's like. I just think that... Um, I promise you, you have worth. We all do. <laughs> the most important thing is to know that if you Jesus completely Christ. disagree with us right now, that is also normal. And that yeah. is part of your defensiveness trying to maybe protect you or put off dealing with this. But that's not going to serve anyone, and it's definitely not going to serve you. Um We might just um, take a second. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, we're going to compose ourselves and come back. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> but also thank you for being not vulnerable because I know that it's not easy to talk about this. And um, the only way to like reach other people is let people know that that's not like you're not the only person that's been in that room. You know, like if we think of it as like a physical space, like you're it's it's a place we've all been. I mm-hmm. think. And it's a place that we are able to get out of. It has a door. There's literally people who make this their entire life mission in their jobs and their careers to help us get out of it. And they're wonderful people. Holy shit. Dude, you want to talk about therapy? Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, let's transition into um, some coping mechanisms now that we're in this space. Yeah, now that we need some coping mechanisms. Um, so I didn't go to therapy for a really long time because I was so afraid of it. And then once I started going to therapy, I realized kind of, it's super valid to be scared of it, but also, oh my God, I wish I had started so much sooner. Yeah, that was a big thing for me. So um, 
I came from a different culture that is not very acknowledging of mental health as like a priority or as therapy as something. Therapy would be considered a weakness. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons that I want to be so vocal about it is that especially for people who come from communities that I come from, like immigrant communities, like um, Middle Eastern communities, if your family or the people around you don't normalize that for you, I feel like it is really important to have someone who will. And it took me a long time to even accept that I would go. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things I remember being like, one of the first things you think about when you leave is kind of like this idea of like, oh shit, I kind of just like opened the very top of the first box. And all I'm thinking about now is like, I obviously fucking need this. <laughs> and I have so many more boxes to open Yep. because I should have been here sooner. Yes. We call it unpacking. Unpacking. And it's a legit thing. Look, my even my own parents, when I told them that I started going to therapy, thought I didn't need therapy. And first of all, no one can validate you in that way, saying that you do or do not need therapy. Nobody knows what goes on in your own mind, in your own life, in your own world. So they are, have no fucking right to dictate that. Yeah. So I love my parents to death, but... Absolutely, I need therapy. Absolutely nobody should tell you what you do or don't need, especially when it comes to therapy. But I think the thing with therapy is that, like, whether or not you think you need it, bruh, you need therapy because everybody fucking needs therapy. It like, everybody hurt. needs Everybody needs a space at least once in their life. If you don't have that in your life, it's just so fucking wonderful to have a space to be able to do that. If you want to know how to be a better adult, a better communicator, a better partner, a better friend, a better functioning member of society, how to manage everyday stresses, how to manage really big stresses, how to manage grief, how to manage loss, how to manage depression, how to manage anything that life throws at you in a healthy and compassionate and productive way, therapy is your option. Therapy is your answer. It's not just for, oh, I'm having suicidal thoughts, oh, I'm really anxiety, and, you know, I'm anxiety-ridden all the time. It is how to be a better, healthier version of yourself in a loving, welcoming, safe space. I also understand that, like, um, it can be financially out of reach for a lot of people, but another factor that plays into, like, mental health, which is, like, going to be a whole other fucking episode, but, like, in mental health in America is that, like, even the friends I've had who do try to do this will sometimes get responses if they're going through their own insurance or they're looking through certain systems of kind of being, like, contacting that person and getting, like, a, oh, yeah, our soonest available date is uh, two months from now, three months from now, mm -hmm. uh, six weeks from now, and feeling so discouraged that you need mm -hmm. help right in that moment. I tell you, like, if make that first appointment, it doesn't matter. You will feel better knowing that there is a point, like, mm -hmm. that there is going to be a moment of contact. And honestly, just do it anyway because a lot of these therapists have free consults and you can just talk to someone and even see if this is something you're interested in. Mm -hmm. That's a really big important thing, too, is that, like, are you comfortable doing this? Because you have to be willing to talk to someone. And, like, sometimes that's fucking weird, especially if it's not somebody you know at first, you know? Yeah, it's very strange going to a stranger and opening up about your deepest, darkest secrets and being prepared and willing to do that. Um, How did you find your therapist? My uh, insurance at the time. At the time? Yeah. 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 Um, I also want to touch back on the inavailability of mental health for everyone yes. and say that there are hotlines you can call, which yes. I know is kind of weird because it's like, 
a complete fucking stranger. You don't even get to see their face, but it is something. It is at least the very bare minimum that you, the first step you can take of just calling, even if you hang up right after. Honestly, that might be easier for some people because there's anonymity in it. Mm-hmm. We'll um we'll post the numbers in the actual posts of the podcast description, so it'll be in the data for that. Um, I couldn't recommend that enough, just because reaching out in any way just. I've called it. I've called the suicide hotline. It wasn't for me. It was for someone else who's having a very, very, very serious crisis, but it was very helpful. It was someone who actually cares about this and wants to make a difference and wants to help you and gives a shit. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the bottom line with that, too, is just saying that, like, um, there are definitely other resources. We're we're living in a time that those are very scant and, like, it's hard to find them. But I do believe that there's, like, a lot of people growing up in this generation, like, that are already, like, getting into, like, mental health professions that are really trying to change that and create mm-hmm. more of these spaces. I do know there's already, like, a couple that are hopefully going to be opening up in Sacramento in the next couple of years. So that creates even more resources in your own community. Um, honestly, sometimes it really does just take a lot of, like, your own legwork and, like, you just got to, like, be your own pavement and, like, No one's going to advocate for you it. better than you will. Yeah, and that's honestly and when... It's hard when you're in that space. Yeah, and we're the first to acknowledge that being in a headspace where you don't feel like you might be worth it might be a hard time to advocate for yourself, but this is the time when you stand up for yourself and take care of yourself like you would like a younger sibling or your friend. Yeah. What would you do for your friend if it was I want, you? I want you to picture the person you love most in this world, and if they were in your shoes right now, what is the first thing you'd say to them? Like, my niece, I always picture, like, what yeah. she would say, what I would say to her if she was in the exact situation. And I, yeah. try, I try to, you know, practice what I preach Absolutely. With her. I think there, that couldn't, yeah, that, I love that advice. I remember we talked about that a long, a long time ago, and it really made me think, like, okay, yeah, this is the people that you value. You should treat yourself in the same level of respect and love that you treat those people. Mm-hmm. So if therapy isn't an option, though, what are some healthy coping mechanisms that people can partake in? I have a long list. I would because, love to hear yours. Yeah, so um, first and foremost... Healthy coping mechanisms. Healthy, yes. We'll talk about unhealthy next, but healthy. Um, I feel like a lot of people have their person. It could be a partner, a best friend, a, you know, their mom, their dad, a sibling, whatever. People typically have this one person that they go to with their big issues when they need advice, and that 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 first step of reaching out to your person and just 20 seconds of extreme courage saying, I'm hella depressed, I need help, or hey, can we talk, or some sort of variation of just putting that first initial feeler out, I guarantee you if that person is your person, they will reach back and care and want to talk to you about it. And just being able to say, I'm sad, I'm, I need help, I'm, exa- I'm anxious, you know, whatever it may be, is such a big step. Absolutely. Um, next is listen to your body and your mind. And if you find that your internal dialogue is insanely negative towards yourself, Try to break it with one word or one sentence. Like, I think I have great hair today. Or, I like the way my feet look. Or, I look great in these pair of pants. Just Mm -hmm. something, even if if it feels really stupid and silly. You need to break that stream. Yeah. Um, There's been times where I've literally hugged myself and just said I love you really loud. And that it, it has 
it feels really weird in the moment, but it has power. Yeah, of course. But just like doing that once a day, you know, two seconds of your life, just hug yourself and say, I fucking love you. <laughs> you know, like would you say with your dog, like, oh, you're so cute. Yeah. Just do that to yourself for five seconds a day. I love you know? that. Yeah. Um, get up and get moving. If you find that you seven days a week you come home and you go straight to bed or you sit on the couch, I want you to just walk circles around your house or walk one time around the block or... Stand up and do 10 jumping jacks. Just something that's breaking that cycle mm-hmm. and kind of jolting your body out of this this rhythm. Um, one thing I used to do when I realized that it would be day five of me coming home and doing nothing is I would just get up and I would brush my hair. Okay. Or I'd brush my teeth. Just something that's like deliberately breaking the cycle of staying in bed where I have to do something that's taking care of myself. Yeah. Or like moving my body. Yeah. Um, you know, playing into personal hygiene. Taking a shower can be a real challenge. Just yeah. something as simple as taking, just getting up, turning on the shower, and getting into it yeah. can be such a huge, huge hurdle to overcome when you're insanely depressed or dealing with too much and exhausted all the time. Yes. But it can have such good effects for it because it's, it's you know, all these are first steps. Yeah. It's just this first step. Um, another thing I started getting really into is I'm, I'm sitting there laying in bed every day. I started watching YouTube videos about depression, about anxiety, about suicidal thoughts about all of these things and just having the knowledge about it and having people validate me with also having the same experiences or the same ideas or whatever really kind of not only opened this doorway to watch all these videos about it and understand what I'm going through but kind of helped me feel not less alone yeah and there's so many great TED talks and YouTube videos about people's personal experiences and people's um, experiences as social workers and all of these different realms of things or they talk about the brain anatomy and chemistry of the brain what's happening when you're depressed which is fascinating to me and super helpful to make me feel like oh this is you know I can fix this this, this is this, the natural reaction yeah. that I would have from this yeah yeah yeah, yeah for so sure so there's just there's this wealth of information and knowledge on YouTube and it's free and it just it helped me for sure. I think the world of YouTube is just like magical in general. Just because I mean, it just taps into like what the internet brings us mm-hmm. is like the world of knowledge in your pocket, and it really does kind of reinforce that you're not alone, and there's a lot of people who can like help you with this. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I did was because I'm Type A, I wrote a <laughs> plan, and even if I didn't execute the plan, even if I had no intentions of actually going through with the plan, just writing out a plan of how to stop being depressed, how to get through a breakup. I've literally wrote, written a post-breakup plan, and it, it I don't even know if I followed it, but just writing it out showed me that I, I had a map to get out of this maze, and I knew how to do it. I just had to take the time and effort to do it, but just knowing that I had the tools myself, like, this is and how I'm going to get out of this. for yourself that you yeah, did that. for sure. Like, that came from me. That was my idea. I wrote that map. I knew how to do it. I just need... I'm going to be okay. Yeah, like... There's a way out of this. I've literally written it out. That's a really good idea, yeah. Katie. And it could start small as like, I'm going to get out of bed today and I'm going to cook breakfast and then I'm going to get back to bed the rest of the day. Yeah. But I'm going to do one thing. Yeah. Or like, I'm going to get out of the house today and I'm going to go to Target and buy shampoo. Yeah. Like, that's my one thing I'm doing today. And like, it's just like these little breadcrumbs of how you to get you out of this maze. Have you ever found that when you do that, like if I, if I'm like, if I'm, cause that's the thing too, is that I'd like to talk about is that like, as somebody who's like on medication and like has a therapy dog and really trying to make an active effort, like. I'm still depressed. Like I that that doesn't that doesn't change. This it doesn't just, just 
Put yeah, them away. it's like yeah. you deal with it every day. Yeah. But like, I do find that um, when I, I don't want to say set the bar low, but when you set the bar at something achievable, when you do something like, oh, okay, I'm going to get out of bed, I'm going to make breakfast. That's the one, the one thing that I'm going to do today that I'm going to set the standard for is that. And then after that, that's it. Today's a success. I've found that when I do that, I'm more motivated to do other things mm-hmm. because everything I do after that is a bonus. Mm-hmm. So then I'll find myself like cleaning the kitchen it's or 1, like 000, taking out yeah. all the trash in the house. You're doing like, the dishes right afterwards. Oh, I might as well wipe down the counter. Well, I'm over here. Let yeah. me just, I don't want to just leave the counters messy if everything yeah. else is clean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total snowball effect. But even if you don't have the frame of mind of expecting it to be a snowball effect. It doesn't effect, have to be a snowball effect. No, not at all. Just the fact that you're doing one thing for yourself to like show that I'm still here. I'm so worth it. We still got this. Yeah. It's going to take a while, but I'll get there. Like, yeah. just one simple thing. Yeah, I remember, too, like, even simple things as, like, the things that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't do that, or I don't wear that, or things like that. Uh, making myself break out of those to do other forms of self-care really reminds me that, like, I'm a dynamic person. I can change my habits. I'm not a, like a, I'm not one thing that's in a constant stasis. The one beautiful thing about, I mean, it's terrifying, but the one beautiful thing about life is that it's constantly changing. Like there's nothing that has to stay the same. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, there's a lot of uh, freedom of movement and what you can do to find a way out of these patterns. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like those snowballs don't all just have to be negative. It doesn't no. have to. It's just one deliberate act to take care of yourself, to do something to make you feel better, to come back to you, mm-hmm. to take to fill your cup. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Um, so another thing that I found very successful with healing or healthy coping mechanism is to avoid caffeine or limit caffeine. Yes. Uh, <gasps> basically, I have a cup of coffee in the morning, and then I try to avoid caffeine for the rest of the day because, my God, caffeine exacerbates my anxiety and then my heart issues to no end yeah um my partner consumes an ungodly amount of coffee and also happens to be the most anxious person I've ever met um we only really recently made that connect <laughs> like it's not, it's not that he didn't yeah. know obviously we know that caffeine does that but there's just he just he just likes it. So there's days that he knows. I love and there's coffee. like the you know, there's like the cup in the morning and he usually has one like in the afternoon. But there are other days where like it's kind of almost funny because he does have a, like he has a high tolerance for it. So he'll drink a lot of coffee on like a random day and then be like really on edge and you know stressed out. And I won't really notice the pattern until later and then it really was. It was only like a few weeks ago where I kind of was like, "Hey, you know, maybe Maybe cutting down on caffeine would help this. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know if we've actively tried that yet because we both really love coffee. Yeah. But um, it's it's a bigger deal than you think it is. And it is. It's just like a socially accepted drug. But it is one of the most intense drugs in in human culture. Like it's, For sure. Let's not underestimate that. Try, try stopping to drink. Try eliminating all caffeine from your diet right now and tell me that you don't have effects for the next few days. Mm, a few days, girl. I'd be like a like a sloth for weeks at that point. <laughs> you would just be super irritable for a really long yeah. time. I guarantee Headaches. you. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I guarantee you, I would have migraines. Yeah. I guarantee you, I'd be super crabby. Yeah. Yep. Plus, not to get too gross, but like, I'm sure people are like, this is. I'm not being too visceral about this because everybody knows about coffee poops. That's just yeah. a thing. And those do stop if you stop coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's also a weird adjustment for your body to for make. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
and transitioning on to the next item. Um, occupying yourself with something calm and productive. So coloring, puzzles, crafts, working with wood, working in the garden, pulling weeds, just doing something super calm by yourself that's resulting in something that you can immediately see the difference in. Yes. It's so rewarding and it's so easy to just go out and do it. Even if it's not your own fucking yard, like go pull your neighbor's weeds. Oh my God, Katie. <laughs> Honestly, like... If you don't I mean, have weeds, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. If you don't have weeds, go, go to the park. Go to the park and mow their lawn. Yeah, pull blades of grass. <laughs> yeah, know, something, but just something that's. I do notice calm. that repetitive tasks are very things that keep my hands busy. Basically, what I used to like when I used to give that advice, I used to say like things that pull me out of my head and like into my hands instead. Like mm-hmm. something that makes you do something with your hands that you can't just sit yeah. there and like and exist you can, in your brain. You can color on the couch or color in bed. Absolutely. It's just, it's engaging your brain in something different that's not this negative internal dialogue. It's, okay, what color do I want to use next? Yes. Which sounds childish, but it's so helpful. Yeah. And there's a reason why there's so many prolifically popular adult coloring books these days. Yes. It's because that shit helps. It's cathartic as it's hell. It's so cathartic. Yeah, I love it. Yes. Um, the next up for me was create a safe space. Um, if I'm someplace where my home life is very anxious I need to create a space that is mine only for me where I can go to and feel safe yes um I don't care if it's a closet if it's your bathroom if it's your bedroom if it's uh, one tree at the park that you go and sit at um it's just someplace where you have this home this beacon where you know you can go to and be safe and feel safe yes and isolate that space to be your safe space. You know, you're not going to live in that space, but you're going to go to that space when you need it. Yeah. Mine is probably my greenhouse outside. Mm-hmm. It's not a real, like, greenhouse greenhouse. It's just, like, a shelf with, like, a greenhouse, like, like jacket thing over it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's where, like, I have that and then, like, my, my, my potting table. Mm-hmm. And that's where all my plant stuff is and all of, like, my quote-unquote in-progress plants are, mm-hmm. and that's kind of just, like, my thinking zone. And um, in nice weather, I would come home every day and go out there for probably, like, half an hour to an hour. And I didn't realize I was doing it until, like, it happened for a while where, like, Sam was like, oh, I know this is, like, your plant time, but I just want to let you know I'm, like, heading out. And I, like, kind of looked at him and kind of realized sometimes oh, it does really take cute. somebody else, like, noticing your, <clears throat> your your patterns for you to be like, oh, yeah, I, I do do this. Yeah. So, like, now that it's colder, I, like, do it in the morning usually before I leave. But it's, you know, it's – that's – that's the place that I like to go to to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that. Do you have one here, or is this just because it's your home? Because um, you live, but yeah. Yeah, I I live here. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <my home. laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's really kind of evolved into my entirety of my safe space. Uh, I used to have roommates that were kind of. Um, <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> toxic and would definitely interrupt my safe space, and that was a huge, huge source of anxiety for me because I knew that if I came home and this couple was fighting in my home or whatever, I would be going into a very toxic environment for me. Um, so now that I don't have those roommates anymore, this has really become like a wholeheartedly safe space. Um, my backyard especially. I like to go out there at night and drink tea and just sit with my dogs. Uh, my car is also my safe space. If for you, music? Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> driving and listening to music is so cathartic for me and always has been. Or 
screaming music in the car. Uh, I can't tell you how many breaks of, breakups I've gone through and then scream Kelly, Clark, Kelly Clarkson in the car afterward. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's some power in that. So. Thank you, Kelly. Yes, we love you. Yes, we do. Um, and then the last thing is medication, which um, I know is not for everyone. It certainly wasn't for me. I have only had negative experiences with medications, but I've heard wildly successful stories with a majority of people who take medications on the rig. My doctor called my reaction to uh i'm on wellbutrin and wellbutrin is like very touchy for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. it's really funny because like a lot of it does have to do with like aggression and like making you like more like edgy which is really funny because that's kind of already like how my anxiety manifested so me and sam were like all right like prepare yourself yeah this is gonna be real sassy this is gonna be some bruce banner shit yeah (laughs) yes i yeah i did honestly the first cup the the first week or two were a little rough. It was not the easiest. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very patient about that, and I really learned to rein in my own reactions to things because I started realizing that, like, when I hit certain levels, like, I know what my normal boundaries are and, like, what my normal levels of anger are, and I've learned to recognize that when it crosses over into a certain level of anger that, like, oh, I'm having a reaction to something. Mm-hmm. I might have, like, accidentally taken my medicine twice today. I might have, like, done something like that. Yeah, there's something not right. Something is not right. Yeah. So then we do notice now, too, like, if I, like, accident, if we, like, miss it, because Sam's also on another um, anti-anxiety medicine, so it's, like, different. So we both know each other's reactions if someone has missed it, but we both just kind of like to be like, hey, just so you know, I forgot that last night or if I got, I forgot that yesterday. And it won't really show up until like a day, day and a half later because mm-hmm. that's like when you're, you know, that's when your brain chemistry is like catching up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll kind of just like have more of a like, like a longer leash for each other to kind of right. just be like, all right, like you fucking act out and say whatever shit you want because you're, you're having your own fucking day. That's yeah. fine. Um, I will say that if you can and you consider that to be something that you can try, that I would definitely recommend it. But mm-hmm. I do know that it's not for everyone. Like, she she literally told me it was, like, miraculous because people don't always yeah. react the best to it. So the first medication I ever tried was Prozac, mm-hmm. and I was on it for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say about three months into it, I stopped. I just kind of flatlined with my emotions. And for the next year and three months, I didn't cry once. I didn't really get excited about anything. I was very even-keeled, which at the time I had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I don't think I actually have bipolar disorder. I think it was just mistakenly diagnosed. And so it, it kind of did what it was supposed to in effect. It didn't it have leveled manic you out, or depressive. Technically, um, yeah. But it, it, it leveled me out to a point that I was very uncomfortable with. And I was only 20 at the time, so I was unwilling to speak up about it. And I was just kind of suffering in silence. And so... By the end of it, I kind of just convinced my um, psychologist at the time that I didn't want to be on it. I felt fine. And then by the time I tapered off, it took about six months to a year to, like, kind of feel like me again. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, I just thought, wow, I that was not for me. And I just can't believe I let that be part of me for so long. Yeah. And then I've had other medications that have made me... Um, I'll take them in the morning, and then by that night, like midnight I'm insanely manic I'm literally ripping things off the walls hmm. I tried it for two days and it was like that both days I I had never been so manic in my life and Do you I remember just, what that one was no I don't That's I just remember thinking like holy shit this is not for me I yeah. had such a bad reaction to this and I thought maybe it was just my first day and then I tried it the second day I went no no way in hell I'm ever taking this again this yeah. is the worst I've ever felt 
was yeah. literally ripping things off my walls and like storming around my house at three in the morning, acting like, like a redecorating. Lunatic. No, like I was so angry and violent. Oh, and you were like ripping things off yeah, the walls. I was okay. Yeah, I was you know two minutes short of shoving my fist through a wall because I was so angry. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, no, I trust me. I've that, yeah. and that's the thing too is like when you reach that level and you feel so when you're at that level of anger nothing could be wrong about why you're angry you're obviously angry and justified like you know this anger couldn't be so intense if you didn't have a right to be angry right Right. like nobody can talk you down from that you see red you see fucking red and I didn't really know what that meant until I like saw the other side of it Yeah, yeah because when you actually are right your reaction isn't going to stay in anger. No. If you actually are right and you're entitled to be angry, a healthy coping adult might flash into anger, uh, be upset, and then like go into thinking about how to either correct it or get out of that situation. Yeah. Right? You Staying in anger is that same spectrum that I mentioned earlier. That's basically you just being stuck in pain, right? Yeah. So Starting to see that, I think, is when you recognize. See, that's the thing, too, is, like, it's really hard to continue to want to try medications if those are the two reactions that you've had. Yeah. So would you ever consider trying anything? So were those both under the assumption that you might be bipolar? The first one was. The second one was just to help with um, my depression and anxiety at the time. Okay. It wasn't because I was considered bipolar or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, It was just something to kind of take the edge off to help me move forward move past the next step and, yeah. like, get out of the rut that I was in because yeah. therapy had taken me to a point and then I kind of wasn't progressing at that point. And so, yeah. um, I mean, it definitely took me out of the rut, but it, like, slingshotted me. Shoved you out of that rut, yeah. And um, it's just taken a lot of time and energy and focus to realize that um, I'm not suited for medications, at least at this point in time, even to the point where I stopped taking birth control because it was affecting my mood. Yeah, like I've been I on hated birth control, birth control for nine, ten months now, and I've never felt more like yourself. Like myself. Yeah. I mean, granted, I am getting into depression now, and I've been in it for a while, but I don't think that has anything to do with birth control. I think that has yeah. to do with what's been going on in my life. Yeah, I do think we were we're on similar cycles too, because like a long time ago, before I was taking medication for my, because I stopped birth control like a probably like three years ago. It was a long time ago, but I stopped it because it was I was I had not cycled out of the depressive because like I used to be in just like depressive cycles because it was a hormonal cycle right yeah but it just stayed (laughs) for like six months to a year and I was like oh this just like isn't worth it I like don't have control over my I feel like I'm not in my body anymore because it just like bloats and deflates whenever it wants it doesn't it's not listening to me I don't feel like I'm in tune with it at all I don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. That was why I got off. But then six months later, then you start to realize, like, oh, your mood readjusting might be that you need to deal with your mood, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I ended up doing, but I probably had the opposite reaction of what you had because I think the way that I feel – I did the same thing where I I felt more and more like myself every day that I wasn't on birth control, and then I, again, started to slip back into something else that was me not dealing with other things. Yeah, I stopped going to therapy. That's what's going on with me now. Yeah, Yeah. and you think that – is there something that you think now will kick you into it or am I just going to have to like do that after we finish recording and like make sure that you contact? (laughs) No, I think I'm just at the point now where I'm tired of feeling this way and I know what the solution is and that's to talk to my damn therapist and um, I'm avoiding it because I have things to talk to her about that I'm ashamed to bring up, which is, I also want to get into that because your therapist could not be more understanding and welcoming and accepting of everything you throw at them 
no matter what it is. So whatever f shame you're feeling, she's going to change that shame into how to accept it. And if they don't treat you that way... Get a new therapist. Get a new therapist, because that's not how they're supposed to make you feel. You should feel like your therapist loves the crap out of you and genuinely cares about you. Your therapist should be, your, regardless of gender, they should be like your dead mother slash dead father. Like, it yeah. should be somebody that you can just, like go to and talk to without the weird um, limits and boundaries of talking to, like, a family member or friend that, like, maybe you don't want to burden or, like, get too personal with. Yeah. It does take vulnerability, but that vulnerability he, is yeah. for you. It's yeah. for you're, – you're only benefiting yourself. The therapist is there for you. You're there for you. You're both there to work on you. So yeah. it's – it's Case it feels point, weird, but talk to them. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling super shameful about this and having – I know that if I go to my therapist, I'm going to have to say it out loud and I'm going to feel – so much shame, but I also know that she's going to be accepting of it and just say, okay, well, how can we work through that? Or like, what, you know, what do you feel about that? Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. And it's not going to be like, why the fuck are you doing that? Or anything negative. Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. That's you talking to you, not That's your therapist. 1000% me talking yeah. to me. So I just have to get over that hurdle. And I'm at that point where I'm like, enough is enough. It's going to be fine. I'm just going to, you know, that 20 seconds of extreme courage. I'm just going to do it. 20 and seconds. And that's the thing too is like, when I'm that uncomfortable, I just tell the person, I'm like, look, this is on it. Like, look, I know that I need to be here, but this is honestly the last place I want to be because I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. And usually the first thing she says to me is, why don't you want to talk about this? Yeah. And like, doesn't make me talk about it, but like maybe addresses like why I'm so uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I'm really ashamed about talking about this. This is what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard to unpack, but you... You need to do it if you're going to get there. That's the thing is, like, the thing about life is the only way to do it is to fucking do it. Yeah. Just go for it, man. All right. Let's talk about unhealthy coping mechanisms. Okay. Um, so I think that it, it's funny. A lot of these tie into what people do after breakups or, you know, um, things we've talked about on previous episodes. Yeah. And I think it's it should be a little easier to identify unhealthy habits versus healthy habits because I don't, I don't know why I think a lot of people do a lot of the same unhealthy habits, but healthy habits look different for everyone. Yeah. So things like drinking or drugs, um, obviously not very healthy, especially if they're done in excess, uh, hurtful behaviors either to you or to others. So putting down others, deliberately hurting others, deliberately hurting yourself, putting down yourself, uh, reckless behaviors like driving 80 miles per hour on a surface street or, you know, any number of things. Just overdoing things, yeah. I think, is I it it shows a lack of regard for your own safety. safety. And yeah. I think those types of things are you really trying to like punish yourself. Mm hmm Self self harming. One thousand yeah. percent an unhealthy habit. Absolutely. Um eating too much or depriving yourself of food, uh sleeping too much or not sleeping at all, and then avoidance of basically everything. Avoidance of talking to people, avoidance of getting out of the house, avoidance of taking care of yourself avoidance of confronting any of these habits yeah all of yeah. it so I feel like that's the thing too is they don't change across the board because our um the things that we like make us happy in different ways so our, our healthy things can all look different but like the unhealthy ways that we hurt ourselves like as humans there's only so many ways that you can like because that's most of what this comes down to is like self-punishment right like that's yeah. what you're doing you're either running away from it or you're telling yourself that you're not worth dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Or you're just also not aware that you're not dealing with it. So you just keep running. Yeah. Or all of the above. 
I just, running literally is healthy. Yeah, if you literally were running, as long as you're not like doing it till you puke, like yeah. And honestly, I've I'm heard running. that's not really that bad for you. It's yeah. just kind of what you do. Um, but you know, I I think that if you're getting if you're at the point where you might be considering getting into therapy, that's also a really good thing to talk about with your therapist is like what these habits look like, because there might even be unhealthy habits you have that you don't recognize as unhealthy habits, you know? What was your um, first therapy session like? Like, what were you feeling like going into it? How did it kind of go for you? And then what did you feel like afterward? Okay. So I was still nervous, but I had lost a little bit of the buffer of almost embarrassment Mm -hmm. if that makes sense because there is like it I don't want to say that it's admitting weakness but like if that's the culture that you grow up in it does feel different to confront that socially but I had like lost that a little bit as a buffer because we were we were referred to see separate therapists when we did um couples counseling absolutely because I that like couples counselors are amazing and they're just really great marriage tools because we have a very like very involved lives and we do a lot of things together so sometimes creating a separate space which is like kind of what you were talking about is better for both of us yeah so we both ended up doing that therapy could be your safe space too it absolutely is and it that's should, another it should be thing one of too them. and you don't have to have one safe space you should have a lot it yeah. should be all over the place like yeah. little hideaways for sure i think that was another big thing is that she just it's a very um low pressure environment I just that's the thing is like I feel like they might just have like a weird pop culture like reputation but it's just such a like low stakes welcoming place where I, it's literally just like how was your day how have you been what do you want to talk about what's going on yeah. with you like it's literally just someone who's concerned and professionally qualified to give you advice. I yeah. think that's the big thing is it's just someone... We are not. We are not. But if Dan you go, and Katie are not qualified. We are not. We are, Therapists are. We are friends. These are what we have done personally to make it work for us. Yes. And what our experiences are in our walk of life. And I think that's the thing is like being able to share that is what I can... What I can contribute and what I can help with is being able to share my own experience. But I can't emphasize enough that like... You can you can also go and just pay your therapist to talk to you for an hour. Yeah. About your day, about the sun, you know, about whatever jeopardy. I don't care. There's so been many can, times. Yeah. Sometimes there's space where you just need to talk to someone about nothing. I actually spend some like chunks of my time talking to her about her life because yeah. she's willing to do that, and she gives me advice and like tries to like make very clear like yeah like I'm not not going to dominate your time but like in my experience this is what I do this is what me and my partner do like it's a I love the dynamic that I have with this person um you can email me if you'd like her reference if you're local but same I also just can't emphasize enough that it's it's about having someone where for months and months this year I kind of had this space in my head where I was like, well, no, I don't want to burden my friends with this. I can't talk to my mom about this. I can't talk to my partner about this. I don't know where to go with this. And Mm -hmm. it's starting to just be too heavy Mm -hmm. and feeling that way. And now having a place in my brain where like when I get to that space, kind of being like, oh, it's time to text your, it's time to text your therapist and make an appointment. Yeah. And I honestly don't see her that much because like, yeah, dude, I get it. It's not cheap. And I, my insurance doesn't cover it, mm-hmm. but. That's one of the biggest reasons why I haven't gone. It's because yeah. I haven't wanted to shell out the money for it. But exactly. It's, just like, it's worth this, it. Is my health not worth that? It's yeah, absolutely sure. worth it. Also, if you find that you have a friend who's your therapist, don't do that to the friend anymore. 
Like, that's the blind leading the blind, honestly. Unless that person's a licensed therapist. Yeah. But even then, I think there's kind of a conflict of interest. I mean, it's great to reach out to a friend and, like, talk about it, but don't make it a habit that happens every day or don't rely also, on your friend to guide you through life. I just None of us know what the fuck we're doing. I, we didn't go to school for this. That's what I think, too. Is like, I just sometimes think if there's one person, obviously, who gets you and gives you good advice, that's, that's invaluable, and I'm happy that you have that. But also, sometimes if there's, like, one person that we get advice from all the time, we might start to forget that, like, they aren't... Because sometimes I feel like my friends do this to me, where, like, I have to kind of remind them, like, yo, I just like to talk a lot, but... I'm not a licensed professional. Yeah. Like, I will love to help you, and I will give you advice, but seek help if you feel like you need it. Yes. So, tying back to your therapy first one, um, how did you feel after you left? Um, I had never seen, like, I don't know, you know when you, like, you go outside and everything looks brighter? <laughs> like, I just felt a lot lighter, and, um, you know, I... So, like I said, the first couple sessions, the first time that I saw someone, it was already this, like, we- there was even more, like, weird stigma around it. Because we knew we were going because we wanted to, like, be more proactive about our relationship. But, like, there's just so much social stigma about, like, even when, like, I say that and, like, you see people's eyebrows go up of, like, no, I You're want. couples therapy? Yeah, oh and I want, God. I'm like, trying to talk to you about yo, it. No, couples therapy makes people very successful as couples. Maybe there'd be less of a divorce rate if they went to therapy together and before they feel, even got married. And didn't feel so stigmatized about doing it because yeah. you raised your eyebrows like that at them. That's my whole thing is, like, I go out of my way to talk about it because it's, like, one of the one of the most productive things we've done for ourselves and, like, a very long relationship where we were very young when we met so like we don't honestly sometimes you don't know if the coping mechanisms you have are very healthy until like you get a professional's advice yeah and like having that be the buffer be the first time I would say I felt very very uncomfortable whereas now when I leave I'm just like very happy and I also feel like I'm it's becoming more and more the same feeling I get when I like go get my nails filled or like go you trim like my hair. It's literally an appointment that I feel like is part of taking care of myself yeah. that feels almost essential. I mean, it's it is more essential to my well-being than like a haircut or getting my nails done, but yeah. it feels like one of those routine running errands. I owe myself this. This mm-hmm. is something that is part of my day, part of my schedule and completely healthy and normal. If you're not the kind of person who feels comfortable talking about yourself or talking about your problems, this is literally an hour where that is dedicated to you and that's what you're supposed to do and it feels so much more natural and freeing to finally be able to have this space to do that. It's like a it's like a a private like whiteboard that's just social. Like you get to literally like list out all of these things that you're thinking about. Yeah. And just talk about them cuz sometimes I literally will go off on so many topics that we don't even cover. Like, I've literally walked in and been like, I want to talk about this today, and we don't get to it because of all of the other weird, th- like, thoughts mm-hmm. I have that have made me, like, the reason I want to talk about that one topic is because of the 5,000 reasons where that, like, that topic matters. Mm-hmm. It's just, like we've talked about, too, like, you start unpacking shit that you don't, yeah. you don't even know is going to come up. For sure. So for you, um, like, your, what was your first appointment like? My first appointment, um, I went into it being very skeptical and not thinking that it was for me and just trying to kind of reach out and find another avenue to deal with what I was dealing with. I went in because I was 25 and I wasn't at where I was 
quote-unquote supposed to be in my life. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I wasn't done with school. Blah, blah, blah. All this shit that I had built up in my head. Mm-hmm. And I was just really struggling dealing with that. So I went in thinking like, okay, well, maybe this person will be able to give me some life guidance. Um, and what happened was that I started unpacking way more stuff than I anticipated I needed to unpack. <laughs> And you don't pick what comes up. Yeah, and it's like, where the f- hell did all this come from? Yeah. Like, this is not what I wanted to talk about. You know? I didn't even know I cared about this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this interesting thing always happens with therapy for me is I'll go back to therapy or I'll, I'll be continuing therapy and we'll uncover something that's a big deal and I'll dread going to therapy because every session it unpacks it more and more and unearths these really old wounds and it's really freaking hard to work through them and it's reliving a lot of the same stuff but the difference is instead of recovering them and repacking them in that back that box and throwing them away back in you're finally moving past them and that is the point of therapy is to uncover this stuff and learn how to move past it rather than just repack it in the box and shove it under your bed i think that's the thing too is like it's kind of like um you have to think of it as like a detoxification of mm. your like mental health. Yeah. If you're un if you're unearthing all of these things, it's not like you're finding these like rotten toxic things and then just like burying them again. Exactly like you're saying, you're finally giving yourself a chance to have like yeah, healthy growing ground because that shit's not that shit's not down there anymore. The way that I always picture it um is that I have one of those old school newspaper sacks like what the little the guys used to carry when they threw newspapers on porches mm-hmm. and every trauma or thing I'm carrying or whatever is I'm shoving in that sack as I live life and it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier and harder and harder and harder to deal with mm-hmm. and what might happen is I'll take a newspaper out and read it and realize how shitty that situation was and I'll shove it back in there but in therapy I'm taking it out and I'm able to read it with a different lens or dissect it or whatever and then shred the paper. Damn. You I know, like that. Keep what I want from it. You know, keep the happy sections of it. Keep the comics. Shred, shred the rest of it. Yeah. Or, like, learn from it and move on. Or combine papers together. You know, there's a lot of things Lighten that do this metaphor. But, yeah, literally lighting my emotional load and my emotional baggage. Yeah. So that I can, if I approach the same traumas later on in life, I have these tools to learn how to not keep them as baggage, to learn from them and move forward from them. And I think another important thing, too, about unpacking those things is if you do encounter things like that in the future, being able to recognize those triggers, being able to recognize what the things were that, like, bothered you about that situation, like, the other time that it happened, and having, like you are saying, having tools to to serve that situation. Whereas, like, you wouldn't... You would just be triggered and upset if you... Yeah, if you face the same traumas over and over again and never learn how to deal with those traumas, they're only going to get worse. They're only going to do more damage every single time it happens. Exactly. Yeah. So what was your, what would you think therapy is like now when you leave? Um, When I left that first appointment, I was kind of just bewildered and confused and exhausted and still a little skeptical. Um, Now therapy, when I leave, I feel like, I leave with a new tool or like a new, a new cap- coping mechanism in order to deal with things later on down the road. Or I, I've figured out a plan on how to deal with this thing that I've been stuck on. Or I just feel like I've gotten things off my chest and 
I, yeah, I definitely feel lighter. You it know? makes me feel like my problems are, like, actual material things that I went into, like, a workshop with and, like, actually worked through and, like, mm-hmm. draw, literally, like, when you're saying, like, you shred that paper, I feel like I go in there with something and I'm like, okay, so here's, here's the puzzle we're doing today and then we get to do the puzzle and then fucking burn the puzzle because yeah. I don't want it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as scary as I thought it was going to be. I'll say that. It's definitely not as scary and it, yeah, it's a little weird to open up to someone, but... That person becomes not a stranger very fast. And also, they know it's fucking weird. And they're really good at making it not weird. They deal with this every day. Yeah. It's like getting a bikini wax. I was the first just going to say. Yeah. I was you literally have to just. Look at them from their perspective, they see it all day, every day. It's not that weird. And that's the thing, too, is like, I'm not, no judgment on anybody, but like, you might be like the least complicated person they deal with that day. Like, yeah. Like, I I've, definitely have thought about that. I've seen What About Bob, all right? Yes. Like, I. I'm I'm not Bill Murray, so yeah. I might be worse. For sure. Um, trigger warning. Yes. What suicidal thoughts can look like? Um, I think a lot of misconceptions about that are that they can be planning a suicide or what that might look like or imagining how to kill yourself or whatever. But for me, suicidal thoughts have been, this would be so much easier if I was just not here. Yeah. It can be as simple as thinking it's easier if I'm just not here. Yeah. I think um, the reason we want to highlight that is giving you a better tool to recognize when it might be time to talk to someone because it might feel way more passive than you think it does. And Mm -hmm. it can sometimes build a lot slower than you think it does. And honestly, sometimes I'm just fucking exhausted and I'm exhausted in a way that like, I don't want to deal with shit. Yeah. And in a very simple way, that's the same concept because I mean it, I, I'm, I mean not deal with anything. So, and if you are, have a penchant for being a dramatic and say things like, Oh, I just rather be dead right now. Maybe reconsider that phrase. Yeah. Because I think that people sometimes are struggling with that and they hear that and they feel like that thought then is then minimized because it's used as a joke. Yeah. So, not to shame you for whatever, No, 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 but no. But, I mean, I think it's important to, to just understand that, like, the subtleties in our language do matter in mm-hmm. every way. They matter if you're saying it jokingly, and they matter if you're talking to yourself negatively. Yeah. All aspects of this matter, because yeah. those words mean something. It's not funny to joke about that. Mm-mm. And that's a serious thought if you're actually having that thought. Which, again, we will be including those phone numbers, um... And hotlines and resources that we have here locally, and I know that there are other lines that are national. For sure. Um, but you have worth, and we love you. We love you so much. And we want you to know that, and feel it, and believe it, which is the hardest part. Even if we really like making you uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>